0: And back here with another edition of In Your Corner. Welcome to the show. If you've never uh, reached out before, one eight three three In Your Corner, In Your Corner dot and email no shock. It's a uh, consistency help at In Your Corner as well. Got a lot of emails to get through on the show today, guys. Uh, questions as well. As always, week that was James uh, Savannah. I know you guys both have things to. Uh, get through. So uh, we'll get to it. How are you guys? Who's uh, going to shoot first? I'm going to go
1: first, John. All right. right. Excellent. So it's been a very busy week as usual. Let's start off with a question that I received uh, posted to mydisabilityquestions.com. And this one came um, from from a gentleman who wrote, I'm on long-term disability, off work for major depression. I feel the insurance company is trying to send me back with no medical approval. I'm afraid if I go back on the date the insurance company is telling me to return... My employer will say that I'm not ready to come back, and the insurance company will then say, you're not our problem anymore. (sighs) I also had a doctor's note, and the doctor's note instructions were not followed by my employer. They basically ignored it. Any advice? I'm trying to find a lawyer to help. I have no money, but all the lawyers I contact want me to come to their office for a consultation and charge me for it. Hmm. So, you know, again, John, a lot of stuff here to unpack, but let's just start with this. If you've been denied long-term disability or you've been cut off long-term disability, there will be no charge for you to speak with us. We keep saying that, and I want to make sure people understand you are going to pay nothing to get that legal advice from us. Here's the reality. If you are not ready to go back to work, if your doctors are telling you that you're not ready to go back to work, the insurance company has no right to force you to go back to work. Period. It's that simple. And if you do end up trying to go back to work against medical advice other than making your situation worse, your medical condition worse right. uh, you, you know you're also going to be in a position where the insurance company is going to take the position that you're no longer disabled, even though that's not really the case. So you know again, for everyone out there, not just for yourselves, if you're listening but for your friends and family, anyone you know who's in that predicament, tell them to give us a call or email us, we don't bite. We will give you the information you need to make an informed decision on uh, how to proceed and and the legal steps that you need to take. And I also want to make something clear. We often talk with people over the phone. We help people across Ontario, across British Columbia, and we don't charge for it. So if you have a lawyer that you've contacted that insists on you coming to their office, Mm. insists, and insists on charging you for it when you're dealing with a long-term disability claim, as far as I'm concerned that's not the right lawyer for you.
2: It's also a red flag that it's not a lawyer that's got a lot of experience doing this kind of work. If you if you are a lawyer and you are taking on disability cases, you should be willing to meet with anybody who has a question, who might have a case for a free consultation and that's absolutely what we do.
0: That is kind of a the board type of thing, right? You just it's it's a it's a consultation, it's a quick hookup. You just do it.
2: Right? Yeah. And, and
1: John, the reality is that if we take on that case, you're still not paying anything. You're right. not paying anything until Good we call. resolve the case. Yeah. So we are essentially in the same boat as you are. You know, we, we put our money where our mouth is. We, we, we will invest the time. We will invest the effort. We have a team, a full team ready to work on your case. And at the end of the day, if we are wrong, we are going to get hit just as hard as you are. So this is one of the reasons why if you come to us, we're going to tell you the truth. We're going to tell you the way it is. But the reality is this. It's a very simple analysis in my mind. If somebody comes to me and says, I've been denied long-term disability or I've been cut off long-term disability, I will ask to see the policy, the LTD policy. I want to see any documentation you've given to the insurance company from your doctors or anyone's treating you. And I want to speak with you. I want to understand what is the nature of your disability. And at the end of the day, if I think that, if I believe you and I think that you are telling me the truth and your doctors are saying
0: that you cannot work then we can force the insurance company to pay you what you are owed, period. One eight three three in your corner is the number again. Help at inyourcorner.ca. savanka so uh, carry on. What else you got?
1: Okay, one more here. So here's another question that was just posted uh, just actually a few minutes ago to mydisabilityquestions.com. This one comes from Crystal. And here's what she writes. She says, I'm diagnosed with degenerative disc disease slash osteoarthritis. I'm currently fighting an LTD claim. My question is, do you think it will be approved? So, you know, when I'm reading that question, this lady is saying she is fighting the insurance company's uh, uh, denial or that's essentially what she's insinuating. That tells me that she's trying to appeal the denial of her application for LTD. And again, you know, I'm going to be like a parrot here. Do not appeal these decisions. Uh, The appeal process is designed to work against you. The vast majority of appeals, I don't have statistics for it, I'm just speaking anecdotally from my experience and from speaking with lawyers who do this, the majority of appeals that we see uh, and we hear about from individuals contacting us go absolutely nowhere. Not only do they go nowhere, but they go nowhere pretty fast. And in some instances, people end up missing crucial timelines for starting legal claims. And what that means is that if the insurance company owes you money and sometimes we're talking about tens if not hundreds of Mm -hmm. thousands of dollars, maybe even more, if you miss that two-year limitation period from the date you were first denied, you could be barred from ever recovering that money that is owed to you. And who's going to keep that? The insurance company.
2: One thing I kind of want to touch on in this email is the specific medical issue um, that this person is writing about, degenerative disc disease. Now, I, I'm not going to pretend to be a doctor, but I've been doing this well long enough that I've seen many cases where people have degenerative disc disease. and It's in fact quite common, and some doctors will tell you that pretty much anyone over the age of 40 and certainly 50 is going to have some sure. signs of it. It doesn't mean that they're going to be symptomatic, Correct. and they may well be able to um, lead a full life without any limitations, but there will be signs of it in, in most people above 40 years old. And so what you're going to be faced with, for sure, if this is the primary issue you have, you're going to be faced with an argument from the insurance company. They're going to say, oh, well, degenerative disc disease, everyone has that. We're not paying for that. That's not really a disability. It most certainly is. The thing about degenerative disc disease is it's somewhere on a continuum. So there are many people who may not be disabled because of it and many people who may well be. The issue isn't the diagnosis. The issue is your symptoms. And if your symptoms from your degenerative disc disease are sufficient to prevent you from returning to work, then it's sufficient. You are entitled to receive your benefits. Full stop.
0: One eight three three that is the number anytime, help at inyourcorner.ca. You want to reach out through email, which we will get to after a short break, you can do that as well, help at inyourcorner.ca. This is In Your Corner, lots more to go here on Global News Radio. In Your Corner, right back here, and the number for you anytime. Remember it, one eight three three. in your corner Fairly simple. That pretty much goes for the entire contact. Uh, help at inyourcorner.ca through email, and inyourcorner.ca is the website where you can find past shows and uh, contact information as well. Leslie, you're up. As promised, the first email of the show, guys. Uh, Leslie says, I've been denied long-term disability despite my doctors saying that I can't work. I spoke with my union, and they said that they can help Uh, help me appeal, or I could speak with a lawyer about
2: a legal claim, should I try to do it through my union first? Leslie, thank you for the email. So first off, I just want to clarify something for any listeners out there that are in a union. A lot of times people in a union aren't aware that they can, in most cases, use a lawyer as opposed to their union in order to challenge any denial from their insurance company. So if you are if you have been denied, even if you're in a union, give us a call. It's a matter of, of about five minutes it will take us in order to determine whether or not you need to go through your union, and in most cases, you don't. And in this case, obviously, if your union is telling you that you're entitled to use an outside lawyer, then certainly in your case, you're going to be entitled to do it. And so now getting back to Leslie's question, should I go through my union or should I bring a legal claim. Well, think about it this way. Your union is there for a very specific purpose. They are there to make sure that your global rights are protected, to make sure that your collective bargaining agreement with your employer is sufficient to meet your needs as an employee, to make sure that the terms of the agreement are abided by, and so forth. They are not experts in disability insurance. Mm -hmm. And with very few exceptions, in fact, I don't think I've ever seen an exception. Unions do not employ specialists in disability insurance. It is not as though, oh, you just have to go to the disability guy in the union. That guy doesn't exist. What you're going to, what's going to happen is you're going to be sent to the guy who's you know heard of disability insurance probably Um, but you know they do not have expertise in this area and I don't think you're going to have many unions calling in and challenging this you want to make sure that you are taking your dispute to someone who knows what they're doing so absolutely you want to give us a call and we want to start a legal claim now the bigger issue of course is should you even be appealing at all and You know, the answer is very clearly no. No. If you've listened to our show even just once, you know that the answer is no, absolutely not. Appeals are a waste of time. The appeal process for disability insurance... Is an internal process. What I mean by that is it's something that has been set up by your insurance company. It is not independent. They continue to control the entire process and they can do it in any way that they want. And they do it in the way that they want to. So if you appeal as opposed to bringing a legal claim, all you're doing is you are making sure that that insurance company is maintaining complete control over the process. And if you've been denied, if you're dealing with your insurance company, without exception, every single person says, it feels really unfair because it is. They have all the resources and they have all the experience and you're allowing them to continue to control the process every time you appeal. Don't do it. You bring a legal claim and it's now out of their control. You've just effectively leveled the playing field in one step.
1: John, I want to add something and I want to speak directly to union presidents, uh, local presidents, uh, anybody in the hierarchy of a union whose job it is to help unionized employees through a variety of issues that james just talked about we are more than happy to speak with you if you have union members who are facing issues with their long-term disability insurers we're more than happy to come over and even provide seminars for free on this topic that's really really key you know unions are there to protect these individuals some people are happy with their union some people are not be that as it may unions are designed or at least their, their purpose is to protect employees and, and frankly, we think that we can, we can team up with a lot of unions, and we've done that before with unionized employees. We've helped tons of unionized employees deal with long-term disability claims. So if you are in that position, like a union president, or if you, even if you're a union member and you think it's a good idea, tell your union president to contact us directly. We would love to get in touch to provide this information. It's only going to benefit the union and its union members.
0: For them and you as well, contact is simple as we uh, go into a break here. 1-833-IN-YOUR-CORNER. Email is help at inyourcorner.ca. And inyourcorner.ca is the website to find everything else you need to know about the show as well. More in Your Corner is on the way. Taking a short break, standby right here on Global News Radio. One eight three three in your corner is the number to get a hold of the fellows, member of the team at the uh, law firm anytime. Help at inyourcorner.ca is the email address. Donna, up next... Donna writes in to you guys, says, uh, I'm 55 and have nerve damage from back surgery after an accident. I can't work, according to my surgeon. But my insurance company says that I should be able to do some other work. They have paid me for two years, but the payment stopped last week. I've worked on a production line all my life and haven't finished school yet, high school. I have difficulty standing and sitting. I don't know what to do, says Donna.
1: Well, the first thing that she needs to do, which she has done, John, is contact us. And that's really key because that's going to set in motion the process of us helping her to resolve the claim. Now, Donna says she's 55, has nerves uh, damage from uh, back surgery after an accident. I love to understand a bit more about the accident. Was it a workplace accident, a car accident? And I'm only saying that because, again, if it's a car accident, for example, or a slip and fall, and she was not at fault for any of that, then she may have a claim for compensation Uh, above and beyond the long-term disability issue. Now, she says that she's been paid for two years, but the payment stopped last week. So why does that happen? Many people get cut off at the two-year mark or close to the two-year mark. And in fact, the majority of people get told that they will be cut off. So Donna here was cut off last week, but many people, Donna perhaps included you would have had a warning. So don't ignore those uh, those warnings when you get emails or letters or phone calls saying you will be cut off. You will be cut off. Don't wait to see if that's going to happen. Now, why does it happen at a two-year mark? Here's how LTD works. During the first two years, uh, to get LTD, you have to show, you have to prove through medical documentation and reports that you cannot do your own job. It's called the own, uh, own occupation test. Can you do your own occupation? If you can't, you qualify, or you should qualify. Mm -hmm. Beyond the two-year mark, the test changes. It becomes a bit more difficult to meet. Not impossible, but a bit more difficult. Beyond the two years, to get LTD beyond two years, you have to show, demonstrate medically, that you cannot do any occupation for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience. And what many insurance companies will do is they will use that marker, that time marker, the two-year mark, to cut you off. And they'll do that by saying either that they think you can go back to your job or what's more common, they'll tell you they think they can do, you can do some other job. And often they'll send you to assessments and to assessors mm-hmm. who will look at you and have you do some exercises and talk about your skills and all that kind of stuff. Yep. And then they'll come back with a report that says, look, you can do these 10 other jobs. And, of course, many people look at that list and say, that is insane. I cannot do those jobs for a variety of reasons. Maybe I have no education, no experience, no training, or simply medically I'm unable to do them.
2: I would love to see yes. what they say that this lady can do. Uh, yes. Donna, yeah. who's written in here, she's, had ner- she's got nerve damage from back surgery. Right. She hasn't finished high school, so any job um, that is sedentary, virtually any job is going to require at least a high school education, and most these days require some post-secondary and sometimes even a further degree. She has difficulty sitting and standing. I can't think of too many jobs you can do without a high school education that would allow you to lie down all day. I Sounds really like radio. can't think of too many of those. <laughs> Prime so, Minister? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, sorry, is I had to, to put that in Try minister. the veil. tip your waitress. <laughs> well, I'm not going to comment on that. All I'll <laughs> say is this. I really would love to take a look at what they have concluded that Donna is going to be able to do. It will be a really interesting piece of fiction.
0: Sounds like a radio host. Wait,
2: what? <laughs> well, John, we're not going to talk about your. No, job I'm not here, doing but, this lying down. Actually, uh, but
0: no, I'll, in in seriousness, you yeah, know, that, that's pretty crazy. That's one, pretty of, crazy. one of the things that
1: you see uh, quite a lot is insurance companies who who cut off people a lot of times, people who who have little education yep. and 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 people who are not necessarily earning that much. And, and conversely, they'll sometimes cut off or deny claims with high earners because they know that they're going to have to pay a lot of money. But for individuals like Donna who doesn't have the educational experience, they are betting. John, that she will simply walk, walk away. away. That she's going to think to herself, "How can I, this person who all my life have worked in this kind of a job, uh, and and you know earned my money, provide for my family, how can that person possibly take on an insurance sure. company?" And, and they're betting on that. Yep. And that's what you have to realize. And once you realize that, you can stand up for your rights and you contact us. You realize uh, you realize how much. of of a smokescreen that is, how how, how untrue that is and how much we can actually fight
2: back. So we talk a lot about how the process can be inherently unfair um, and how the deck is stacked against someone who's making a claim. And this is a perfect example. Just on the facts that we have here, there is really no logical way for Donna's insurance company to justify that she can go back and do something. Now, I don't know what justification they've used to get to that point. All I know is this, when I get the file and I take a look through it, I'm going to be able to poke all kinds of holes big enough to drive a truck through. Okay, there is no way they can connect the dots here. All I have to find out is how they attempted to do it. And once I have that, it's pretty easy to show that they've been completely unfair in the process. And when you have that, when you have that hard evidence that their process is rigged, Essentially, rigged against the claimant, then you've put them in a very difficult position because they know if you bring the claim forward and it goes to trial. It becomes public, and that's terrible public relations for them because most likely what's going to happen is they're going to be hit with punitive damages, and they don't want that. So now you're going from a position where you know the, the, the playing field is tilted in the insurance company's favor to not only leveling the playing field, now we're going to tilt it in your favor. Now we're going to put the insurance company on the defensive. They're going to know that they can't take it to trial. It's too risky for them to take it to trial. That's what we're going to do.
0: It makes me wonder, though, before we break here, you mentioned, you know, they'll they'll come back in two years and then it's, you know, uh, something you're trained for by education or experience. You're telling me you have a guy who's – CEO who's been off for two years, or someone who's in aerospace, they're going to give this guy. Oh, you can go be a barista or a ticket taker to movie theater. Not that there's anything wrong with those jobs, but not exactly of the same level.
2: No, so I mean, this is inherent in the law. It has to be um, something reasonably comparable, and typically the rule of thumb is somewhere around sixty to seventy percent of earnings. Sometimes mm-hmm. the policy itself will specify what the minimum amount of earnings cool. you have to be able to earn in order to no longer qualify for benefits is. Sometimes. 50% um, specified, sometimes it's 60 But if it's silent on that, if it doesn't say um, that you have to be able to earn at least 50 or 60% or whatever it is then the law will typically look at it as somewhere between 60 and 70%. So, you know, if you are a CEO, for example, no, they're not going to tell you you have to go become a barista or right. a greeter at Walmart or whatever the the job is now that is, you know, symbolic for, you know, someone cool. in that position, it has to be something that's going to at least earn you something comparable to in fact what you would be getting for your insurance benefits if they were being paid. Good stuff. 1833 In Your Corner is the number to reach out. Savan James, member of the team. It
0: is help at inyourcorner.ca. That is the email address we are going to right after a short break on In Your Corner. This is Global News Radio. The number anytime, 1833 In Your Corner, help at inyourcorner.ca. Guys, you wanted to just uh, reiterate uh, that email we uh, we were uh, speaking with and uh, early speaking about and uh, read in the last segment about Donna, right?
1: That's right. 55-year-old with nerve damage yep. uh, from back surgery and the insurance company uh cuts her off l t d saying that she can do some other work in two years yeah in, in two years yeah and, and you know something that James mentioned in terms of how uh, you know we go up against these insurance companies and you know he drives trucks through some of the holes in their arguments and logic. One of the things to consider is this here's a difference between when you try to appeal a decision and us starting a legal claim when you are appealing the decision, we talked about the fact that insurance companies have all the power, have all the discretion. They can agree to either reverse their position or simply maintain their their denial. When we start a legal claim, the law forces them to release to us their file. That means that we get to see everything in their file. That's how we get to run trucks through their logic because we can start actually looking at the notations of the adjusters any uh, conversations recorded between the adjusters and any assessors we actually take a look at the guts of how they were making their decision and if it comes to it we get to question that adjuster we we get to essentially you know do an inquisition of this adjuster so just imagine how uncomfortable that adjuster is going to be now separate point to emphasize the fact that we actually get insurance companies to the table and we resolve these claims You know why insurance companies are so terrified about this? Because, of course, they don't want this to be out in the media. I mean, we have a pretty prominent presence. Uh, If you Google our names, you'll see that, you know, we've been helping a lot of people all over the place, and there's a lot of stories about people we've helped. There is a reason, John, why insurance companies insist when we resolve a claim on the individual signing a document that contains a confidentiality provision. They don't want this out in public, which is why when we talk about these cases... We talk about them in generalities. When I talk to you about a success that we've had, uh, unless it's something that has gone all the way to court, which most cases don't go all the way to court, right. you know, we generally are, are, are very careful. But again, my point to you is this. If insurance companies weren't worried about what we're saying, they would not care about having confidentiality nice. provisions when you are settling cases with them. So that's something to consider. They're very, very careful about that because they know that if word gets out, More people are going to make claims. More people are going to demand the
0: money that is owed to them. 1833, In Your Corner, that number, help at inyourcorner.ca. Josh, up next, says uh, my wife was denied LTD because of her employer told them that they uh, think she can work. It's absolutely not true. She suffers from depression, anxiety, and fibromyalgia. Her two doctors say that she's disabled, period. I don't understand why the insurance company listens to her company, but not her doctors. What do we do?
1: Well, you know, Josh, that's a, it's a good question. And, you know, remember that the vast majority of, of policies out there are, are are group policies. And so you get them through your employer. And sometimes the employer pays all the premiums. Sometimes it's you and the employer. Sometimes sometimes, sometimes it's just you. But the point is, the employer oftentimes, especially if they're the payor, they have an interest in making sure that not too many of their employees are on disability for a variety of reasons. Maybe they don't want to pay higher premiums. Maybe they just don't want this person to be off leave because they want to be able to replace them, you know. That's th- th- there's an employment law element to this, which I think Lior probably would be suited uh, in, in discussing. And right. again, this this brings us to the point of: uh, if you are a disabled individual and you're having issues with with your employer, we have employment lawyers that can help you and can advise you and can represent you. So don't think that you you're going to be intimidated. Do not be intimidated. Uh, I I should say by your employer. And in terms of the insurance company. To be honest with you, and Josh, with with, with your wife's case, I actually don't care what your employer is telling the insurance company.
2: They shouldn't be saying
1: anything. They shouldn't be saying anything. My point, though, is that it's a red herring, ultimately. Yeah. Because if if your wife is, is disabled and her doctors are saying that she's disabled and the insurance company is not approving her claim, we can fight that. We can fight that and we can deal with the employer separately. So, you know, off air, we'll get in touch. We will speak with you, with your wife. Trust me, we
2: will help her. You know, if you're wondering why the insurance company is listening to the employer over the doctors, um, you know, the answer is pretty simple. They'll listen to anybody that gives them the opinion they want. Mm-hmm. They'll listen to the guy on the street corner handing out flyers for a rummage sale if he's supporting their position. You mean John? <laughs> well, not last weekend, but I've seen him out there before. Anything you can do by training, education, or experience. <laughs> <That's funny. but laughs> We'll keep that in mind, John. That's right.
0: You know, as as we uh, as we record the show, and I look out the window, and the you know, the lake is partly frozen over, and the guy is spreading the salt. Um,
2: can you move to another country and still get your LTD? Is that possible? Well, generally speaking, there are going to be provisions in most policies that right. require you to be uh, resident in the area where you got the policy. Right. So, I mean, in in most cases. Um, here it would be in in Ontario. So you could move around Ontario. If you're moving out of province, you you might have some issue because the insurance company has set up business and has resources in the area, and they're entitled to have you assessed and to make sure that you're Makes continuing sense. to have your treatment. And so you know if you're going to another country, that's unfair for the insurance company or so they'll argue. And the policy will generally support them. Now, you know you have to take a look at each policy separately. But I can also imagine a scenario where there might be a medical reason for doing it. Uh, For example, if you're someone who's having respiratory issues. Moved to Arizona or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There really isn't a place in Canada that's going to be suitable for you. And so I can think of, you know, that sort of situation where if someone wanted to move to Arizona, there would be, you know, a very obvious medical justification for it. And I suspect it's something that uh, ultimately would hold up in court. I can't, you know, I'd have to take a look at the policy. You want to take a look at the provisions and make sure. Um, and I also expect that the insurance company would take their shot at denying you and see yep. what happens. But if you challenged it, I suspect you would probably be successful.
1: And John, I can envision a situation. I haven't come across it, but I'm sure it, it's happened at some point where someone uh, has some kind of an illness and perhaps uh, there's a medical treatment south of the border mm-hmm. or in Europe or somewhere else. And that person ends up going there And the insurance company takes the position, an unreasonable position, that you breached the policy because you traveled outside of the country. Can you, I mean, I can see, James, I don't know if, but I can see an insurance company taking that ludicrous position saying you've breached the policy if you just read the the words, right? The technical Mm -hmm. words saying you're not allowed to travel outside. And yet that is a medically necessary treatment for you. Again, if something doesn't make sense to you in terms of what the insurance company is doing, call them up on that. Don't accept what they say at face value. And if they're telling you to do something or not do something and you have a concern, there's nothing wrong with you asking your adjuster to point where does it say in the policy, in my LTD policy, that I have to do what you're saying or that I don't have to do what you're saying or, you know, something like that. Right. Very, very important. Don't take what they say at face value And again, as soon as they tell you they're going to cut you off, you give us a call immediately.
2: Just a reminder here, if you are doing that and you're asking them to point out where in the policy it entitles them to take whatever position it is that they're taking, make sure that at the end of that conversation, assuming you're not doing it by email, follow up with an email. Write down everything that you're saying, everything that they're saying. Follow up with an email and make sure that it's documented so nobody can dispute down the road that this is, in fact, the conversation that you had. We'll take a short break. Crystal, you
0: are up next. Your email, uh, you want to contribute, send one over, help at inyourcorner.ca. Otherwise, the phone number, one eight three three in your corner Lots more of the show on the way. Taking a short break, this is In Your Corner on Global News Radio one in your corner is the number. Help at inyourcorner.ca is the email address. Crystal, this is yours. Uh, my husband told me to email you. I was cut off long-term disability because the insurer said that my social media profile shows pictures that suggest that I am not disabled. I don't know what they're talking about. I've been off work for three years because of cancer. I'm still getting treatments. I spend time with friends and family, but that's it. I don't understand what's going on. This is a shock. What should we do? Should we appeal?
2: OK, well, first, let's answer that question at the end. No, yeah, no, don't appeal. We've talked about this. I think every segment of the show so far yeah. do not appeal. Appealing just allows the insurance company to keep the control of the process. You want to start a legal claim and you want to do it as soon as you can, because the sooner you start the process, the sooner you get to resolution. But this is a case, Crystal, I would love to to see the file. I can't wait to take a look and see how they have connected the dots here. How they have gotten from a claimant who has cancer and is actively getting cancer treatment and then are able to somehow justify that there's anything in their social media profile that would deny that they are disabled. Mm -hmm. They either are or they're not. So Crystal is either disabled or they're not. And not everybody who has cancer or is getting cancer treatment is disabled, but whether you have something on social on social media or not, has no impact on whether or not you're in fact disabled social media as everybody understands at this point is a snapshot in time and generally it's your greatest hits you know people aren't you know putting down the bad parts of their day everyone really understands that it's really just a way to memorialize the best things that are happening on a day-to-day basis and nobody should really expect that someone's life is really going to resemble what you see on social media that's well understood at this point when I say it's well understood it's well understood understood by the courts it's well understood by juries at this point so if they're relying on you know a picture in your on your Facebook page for example where you know you're with your family at a barbecue and you have a smile on your face How they're going to get laughed at that's that's ridiculous no. I, you know I, I have not come across a situation where there's a doctor that hasn't said it would be good for you if you are suffering from whatever illness to go out and enjoy yourself to the extent you're able to, to spend time with loved ones, with friends, and to put yourself in a position where you're going to be happy. Right. So you know, if you are doing that, that doesn't mean that you're not disabled. It means you're following your doctor's advice. I would love to get this file and see how they've connected the dots. Get
0: to uh, Nancy next. Nancy's email says, my daughter was in a terrible car accident with her boyfriend before the holidays. Their car was hit from the back on the highway at very high speed. The hit. Uh, they hit the guardrail and went into a ditch. The paramedics said that she was lucky to be alive, but she's 21 and she broke three ribs and hit her head really hard on the headrest. She has a concussion and is being treated for mild traumatic brain injury. Uh, I just don't know if we should consider taking some legal steps now or or what sh- we should do in general. Well, Nancy, uh, first of all, thank you for
1: emailing us, and I'm very sorry that your daughter was involved in this uh, in this very terrible car accident. And this is the season, John, right? I mean, I I think just these past few weekends, we've seen a record number of accidents on the highways, local roads. You know, what people need to understand is that if they are in an accident, and let's deal with car accidents here because that was the focus of Nancy's question – uh, if you're injured in a car accident, whether or not you're at fault, you're going to be entitled to accident benefits. That means your insurance company, your autom- your automobile insurance company, is going to have to pay you certain benefits. And those can include income replacement benefits if you can't work. Uh, it includes medical rehabilitation benefits. There's a whole slew of benefits that you may be entitled to. So again, whether or not you're at fault, you're going to be entitled to those if you're injured. But in Nancy's daughter's case... Uh, because she was not at fault for the accident, there was someone else, she's going to now have a a fairly sizable claim. I mean, from the injuries that are being described here, traumatic brain injury, she's 21, broke ribs. This is a very serious accident. Legal steps have to be taken now. And one of the things that I'm very concerned about uh, when someone is in an accident and they don't seek legal help in a case like this is that by not seeking the benefits that they're entitled to, that could not only prejudice them from a legal standpoint, it could create a situation where down the road, the insurance company, one of them is going to say, you didn't access all the benefits that were available to you. So, you know, Nancy's daughter is going to have a very big claim against whoever was responsible for this accident. Some lawyers would wait almost two years to issue a claim, which is that deadline, the two-year limitation period. In a case like this, I would start the case immediately. As soon as I have all the information in terms of who was at fault, who was the owner of the vehicle, who was driving the vehicle, the road conditions, all that kind of stuff, the police report, I would start a claim ASAP for pain and suffering, for future losses. Again, a case like this could easily, easily get into the seven figures. So, it's crucial that if you are involved in an accident that's fairly serious, it's not your fault, uh, or, or perhaps fault is divided up. You know, right. you have situations that somebody's 50 50. If you are injured in an accident, or you know someone who's injured in an accident, and you have severe injuries uh, or, or any injuries that would prevent you from working, getting back to your normal life, you contact us immediately. We will give you the information you need, we will make sure that you have the knowledge. That, that you and your family require to make the proper decisions right now to make sure that your claim is on the right track.
0: James, I know you want to comment on this, but we're going to take a short break and get back to your comments and possibly another email or two in the last uh, few minutes of the show. You want to reach out anytime, one eight three three in your corner and help at inyourcorner.ca. Hang on, we're right back. One eight three three in your corner is the number, help inyourcorner.ca or inyourcorner.ca, the website to check out anything to do with the show and more contact info is there. Before we move on to another email, I know uh, you wanted to mention something about our last email, right, James?
2: I sure do. So just to remind everybody, um, Nancy uh, has a daughter who was in a terrible car accident. Um, and suffered numerous injuries including a concussion which they've termed a mild traumatic brain injury and she's 21 years old so a few things I want to talk about here first you know the if you give us a call and you retain our firm, the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to hire a case manager. And a case manager is someone who has expertise in dealing with all of the different medical professionals that are required in order to make sure that everything is working together. It's somebody who is overseeing your entire recovery. And when you're talking about numerous complicated injuries that involve different parts of your body, including your head, that's absolutely necessary. You want to make sure that there's someone who is on top of it, whose job it is specifically to make sure that everything is working properly together. And we're going to make sure that someone is on that immediately. You retain us and typically within a day or two, we're going to have a case manager visiting you in the hospital to make sure that that's happening and that you're getting the proper treatment and services that you need. So that's number one. And the other thing I wanted to comment on, because I think it's really necessary for people to understand why this case might might be worth so much money. Um, When you take a look at someone who's 21 years old and is suffering from a traumatic brain injury, if you were to assume that this person is going to work until age 65, and that's not even necessarily a valid assumption anymore. Many people work well beyond that these days. But let's just say that she's going to work until 65. That's 44 years. Even if you were going to assume that you know the the this mild traumatic brain injury is only going to cost her something in the range of maybe five ten thousand dollars per year. Let's say it's ten thousand. You're talking somewhere in the range of four hundred thousand dollars in lost income over the course of her life. Now let's assume that she's someone who was on the road to becoming a, a doctor or a lawyer right. or you know some other high earning job and because of this mild traumatic brain injury she's not able to do it. Now you're talking about something in the range of maybe 50000 a year, maybe $100,000 a year. And that math adds up very, very quickly. But even on a small scale, even if it's, we're only talking about costing you five or $10,000 per year over the course of your working life expectancy, mm. when you're talking about someone who's 21 years old, that adds up very quickly.
1: You know, I, I can tell you these claims can easily get into the seven figures. And, and the worst thing, the worst thing is when you see people who come to you after listening to us, come to us, and then they find out, oh my God, I should have actually contacted you three years ago, four years ago, five years ago. Or, or, Or perhaps they even knew about their rights, but they decided not to do anything. They procrastinated. Again, it's a tragedy. This is money that's owed to you. The law says it's owed to you. All we do is maximize the amount that we can get for you and try and do that in the shortest period of time. So again, it doesn't cost anything to talk to us. Don't be afraid. You know, you'll get this information. You can make an informed decision. We're never going to twist your arms, to, you know, to, to do anything. It's your choice. But you might as well have the information in front of you. You might as well know what it is that you're making a decision about.
0: Let's get to one more quick one before we uh, wrap. Uh, Jenny uh, writes in, says my father was, was refused LTD because apparently he didn't put in the application in time. He was late by three days. The insurance company won't budge. Uh, We appealed it twice. Is there anything that can be done? He's 56 years old and was earning $78,000 a year with bonuses. He has cancer and is doing chemo and radiation right now.
2: Well, certainly there's something that can be done. We can start a legal claim. And in most cases, when you're talking about having not applied in time, um, most times the courts are going to allow you to bring your claim forward uh, and they use a doctrine that's called relief from forfeiture. And basically all that means is if it's an oversight um, and something where the insurance company hasn't been prejudiced as a result of you applying late, uh, then you're going to be entitled to bring your claim forward. Now then you're still in the same situation. You may be allowed to bring your claim. In other words, the insurance company will then not take the argument that your entire claim is invalid because you filed your claim late. But then they may well still deny you for whatever reason they come up with as you know we see all the time. And so that's a whole other story. But once you've started the legal process, we can help you deal with that as well too. And so you know once you get over that hump, the relief from forfeiture, now they've accepted the claim, then we'll see what their position is. Sometimes they may just decide, you know what, this is a legitimate impairment and you're disabled and therefore we'll pay you what we owe you up to date and keep you on claim. If that happens, great. If that doesn't happen, then we go forward with the legal claim. We get to mediation as quickly as we can and we resolve it then. I have a case right now, John. I'm
1: just going to outline that very quickly. I'm mm-hmm. salivating over dealing with the insurance company here. Uh, this is a gentleman who is in his early 60s. I'm dealing with his sons who have power of attorney. This gentleman a couple of years ago was in a terrible car accident, and then he had two strokes afterwards uh, that really uh, impaired him physically and cognitively. And in fact, he doesn't live by himself now. And, and he was late by about a year or so to apply for LTD. And the insurance company has a whole slew of medical documents. I think they have over a thousand documents uh, from the hospitals indicating the severity of his symptoms. And I'm looking at the denial letter and they're saying, he's, you know, it's, it's taken you about a year or so to apply. We're denying your claim unless you give us a proper explanation for the delay. Nice. C- can you understand <laughs> that? This is a gentleman who do- is not able to make decision for him- decisions for himself, can't take care of himself. They know that. Yep. They are simply assuming that he and his family have too much on their plate. They're going to walk away. I can tell you the case is now at our office. It's on my desk. We are not walking away.
2: To be very clear, though, we're talking about not filing on time. Yes. We're not talking about a denial. A denial, uh, you've yes. got two years. If You miss that, you're in a lot of trouble. In most cases, we're not able to do anything about it. Sometimes, yes but rarely. Yes.
0: Good for another week guys to so reach out to James and Savannah or a member of the team simple 1833 in your corner help it in your corner.ca and everything else to do with the show contact and otherwise the website is inyourcorner.ca. Till next time this has been in your corner right here on Global News Network.